So I'd like to begin by saying that I was hit by a truck this week. Um, I wasn't looking where I was going. I crossed the street and the next thing you know it, bam! I was hit by a speeding truck and the driver had anger issues. Uh, thankfully, I, I was relatively unhurt and the driver was shouting at me as the truck drove off. Now, some of you may be thinking, what's going on? Tim, you know, uh, are you lying or what's wrong with Tim, right? Now, let me just quickly clarify that the street was across my living room. The truck was made of plastic and the driver was actually one of my kids. I'm not going to say which one, lah, huh? but yeah. So, chill. Why are you open like that, right, Tim? Uh, it's obvious that I obviously wasn't hit by an actual truck because there's no way that, you know, flesh, blood and bone could hit, get hit by moving two tons of steel and walk away unscathed as if nothing happened. No way. Now, I bring this up because all the more when we sinful humans faced with the hopeless plight of our sin come face to face with an encounter of the God who's revealed in the gospel, find salvation from our sins, could we walk away unchanged? Now, last week, we began a new sermon series going through the epistle of Galatians. And we looked at Galatians chapter 1, verses uh, 1 to 10. We saw Paul define the gospel, what the gospel is, and he strongly warned the Galatian church whom he planted against abandoning the gospel. Don't get the gospel wrong because the gospel is the good news of salvation. So to get the gospel wrong would be, not, would be, would be to not be saved. It is an eternal mistake. But, and this week, we'll be continuing from Paul's warning to Paul's defense of the gospel uh, following in Galatians chapter 1, verses 11 to 24. And if you have the outline with you, or see on the screen, um, my, my, my sermon will be broken apart into three parts, uh, and the verses as follows as well. And the main takeaway for today is that God's good news, God's gospel in Christ, calls and transforms sinners for His glory. So let's begin by looking at verses 11 to 12. In the first section, Paul's gospel was received from Christ, not man. Now, as I said earlier, Paul here begins the defense of his gospel. That, uh, that here he says in verse 11, that I would have you know, brothers, he really wants the Galatians to be very clear on this one fact, which is that the gospel that he preached to them was not man's gospel, but that it was received directly from Christ. Now, we can assume that he does so because his opponents who were seeking to distort the gospel, as we've seen in verses one, uh, Galatians chapter 1, verse 7, were trying to discredit Paul in maybe some very specific ways. Perhaps they were saying, you know this Paul that came to preach to you? He wasn't one of the original 12. He wasn't a disciple of Jesus. So he doesn't really have the authority to teach. That Paul, he, he became a Christian later, you know? After Christianity had started, only he became a Christian. And then later he went to Jerusalem, he received the gospel from the apostles, and then he teach to you a version of the gospel, version 1.0. And then we come to you and give you the updated version, gospel 2.0. So listen to us, don't listen to Paul. And Paul's strong statement here rebuts the strong accusations against his opponents. Number one, in verses uh, one of Galatians, he says, I'm an apostle not by man but by God. And just likewise, his gospel message is not from man, but from God. And he will proceed to demonstrate this by his own life story 
and just demonstrating that his gospel is not from man, but directly from God. And this will carry on all the way perhaps to chapter 2, verse 21. So remember, the big idea is that God's gospel in Christ calls and transforms sinners for his glory. And we come to our first principle, which is the gospel is God's good news to sinful humanity. And just as it was important and true in Paul's day with the Galatians, so too this truth that the gospel is received directly from God is vital for us too. The gospel just means good news, isn't it? And it's good news because our God is good news. The Bible describes him as the God who is merciful and gracious, slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love and faithfulness. That in, out of his goodness and mercy, he created everything. And by that virtue of creating everything, he is Lord above all. Everything belongs to him. All authority belongs to him. He is the source of goodness of life that we see. And what did humanity do to God? As whole, we all turned our backs to him. We separated ourselves from him, wanted nothing to do with him. And that's what the Bible calls sin. That we went away from God, away from goodness. So we naturally find ourselves in more and more evil. We go away from God, the source of life, and of course we find death and decay. And that the whole world is affected by sin. That's, that, that sin is like a radioactive cancer that seeps into not only all of humanity, but the entire creation. And the good news also is that God will one day uh, cleanse his creation and make everything new. That last week we looked at that Jesus delivered us from this present evil age that the world that we see around us and everything in it will be one day destroyed. Sin will be brought to an end. Evil will be brought to an end and will be destroyed. And everyone in it, which unfortunately includes us. But God had a plan. And that's the good news that we preach, that Jesus, that God sent Jesus, God the Son, to earth, that Jesus fully God became fully human and united himself with us so that he could take on the full consequence of our sin, the, our corruption, the shame and the guilt and the death of our sin, fully and completely borne by the perfect and sinless Son of God on the cross. That in our faith with Him, we're united. Our sin has become united with His death, fully paid for, fully done with, fully settled. And we are united in His glorious resurrection. Believers, united by their faith in Christ, have this glorious hope to a resurrection life living and ruling and reigning forever with God in a creation without sin. That's the gospel. That's the good news that points us to this God who would save us in this manner. That without God, we are without hope. For those of us who know this gospel, perhaps maybe where do we need, to need this reminder that this is directly from God. This is the good news that we have. But if you are here today and somehow you're hearing this for the first time, can I just say how grateful I am that you're here with us listening to this? And I earnestly hope and pray that uh, you will let us know that it's your first time. Of, uh, you would like to reach out uh, by a connect card, uh, slash connect. Uh, if you'd like someone to explain more with you and chat more with you about this, we'd love that. And above all, we really, really hope that you would know the one true God as revealed in the gospel and be transformed by him. As we see Paul was in the next section, uh, in verses 13 to 16. So in the following verses, Paul outlines how his life was turned around by the gospel. 
we, we see in verse 13 that he describes his life before the gospel. And what can we learn about Paul from verses 13 to 14? Paul was some kind of like wonder kid, right, in scripture class. So imagine, you can imagine like a, a, a school full of university students, postgraduate students being confused by the lecturer and you have 14-year-old Paul sitting amidst just taking notes and, you know, understanding everything. Like he, he was advanced beyond his years in Judaism. And not just that, that he was uh, zealous for Judaism, the traditions of his fathers, the traditions handed on generation after generation for thousands of years to be preserved, to be kept pure. And this Paul, all of a sudden, comes across this preacher, this Jesus from Galilee that threatens Paul's beloved traditions, that, that whips the, the masses into a frenzy, claiming that this man is the Messiah. And Paul says, how dare they? How dare they say this, this Jesus is the Messiah because this Jesus was cursed by dying on a tree? How can the Messiah, the blessed King of Israel, be cursed? This heresy must be stamped out. That's Paul isn't it? Imagine, if you will, atheists who, who hate Christianity, who say Christianity, religion, is nothing but a fairy tale that has brought nothing but war and plague. It's a plague on humankind. That people who, who hate Christianity with vehemence, that would be our modern version of Paul, isn't it? But what happens next? We see in verse 15. But when he who has set me apart before I was born. We see in verse 15, but when God, who, number one, has set Paul apart before he was born, and number two, who called Paul by his grace, was pleased to reveal his son to Paul, everything changed. In an instant, Paul went from breathing murderous threats at Christianity to realizing that he was so very wrong. That Jesus, whom he was, like his church he was persecuting, confronted Paul on the road to Damascus and asked, why are you persecuting me? As we read in Acts chapter 9, verses 4 to 5, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? And Paul said, who are you, Lord? And, and he said, I am Jesus, whom you are persecuting. I, I believe for Paul, it really was like being hit by a truck. Nothing would be the same for Paul anymore. Because he had come face to face with the undeniable reality that Jesus is risen, that Jesus is the Christ, that Jesus is the Messiah. That the traditions that Paul was so zealous for was not something that was meant to be kept frozen, unchanged, but rather it was meant to prepare the Jews to receive Jesus as their Messiah. That all the test, Old, Old Testament promises were pointing to Christ. So all of Paul's categories, do you believe me, was changed. That everything he knew about scriptures now had a new significance. The Messiah had come. The Messiah had fulfilled all the promises. And that the promises was not just limited to ethnic Israel, but to the whole, all nations of the earth. And so Paul was instructed to take this message, to take this gospel, and proclaim it to the Gentiles. And that's what he did at Galatia. Remember, God's, the, God's good news in the gospel, in Christ, calls and transforms sinners for his glory. And we come now to our second principle, which is God graciously calls sinners to repentance. You see, brothers and sisters, none of us deserve to be saved. All of us, without exception, were deep in our sin, enjoying our sin and not wanting anything to do with God. That if at that moment God had decided to just judge us and condemn us, he would be well within his right. 
but he didn't do that. And that's why the gospel is good news, because it points us to the God who would not let us be alone in our sin, but rather sent his son to die for us. That no one is too far gone for his grace. Grace just means undeserved favor, undeserved love. We didn't deserve this. And that God calls undeserving sinners to repentance. Repentance is just about a change of direction. To no longer go the way that we were once heading without God. That we were away from God, we were living according to our priorities, our wants, our desires. It's all about us, selfishness, sin. And repentance is turning and moving towards God, pursuing Him, seeking Him, desiring Him and living for Him. That when you truly see grace is when we truly see how doomed we really are in sin, that sin doesn't satisfy, sin cannot. And we truly appreciate how freely Jesus has saved us and glimpse the magnificence of glory that awaits us in Christ. So I ask, where perhaps do we need to be appreciating His grace. Personally, I ask God, God, who am I that you would love me, that you would bless me, that you would save me? I'm, I'm nothing. I'm an insignificant pile of dust that is here today, gone tomorrow. Yet you would send your precious Son to die on the cross for me, that you would show your love to me again and again, no matter how much I fail, that God, your grace is there to bring me back. So I hate that I run away. I hate that I fail you, God. But in the midst of my darkest night, in the midst of my deepest failure, I find you there, that your grace has never left me and only brings me back to you. I can't comprehend why you will love me, but I only know that you do, that you tell me that you do. So help me to live for you, to give you honor and glory that you deserve and keep me by your grace. And that's what we should be responding to God's grace. Let us not remain untransformed because this is to God's glory. As we come to our third part, which is Paul's preaching glorifies God independently of the apostles. So we see now in the last part of verse 16, what happens now that Paul has his category shifted by the gospel? What next? We, we know that in Acts chapter 9, when we read on, that he immediately begins to proclaim Jesus in the synagogues in Damascus, that he was proving to the Jews that Jesus was the Christ, and everyone's like, wait a minute, what happened, right? That Paul immediately began to proclaim the gospel, and we read from our, our verses here in, Gal uh, in Galatians that he went to Arabia, went back to Damascus before going to Jerusalem three years later. Now, what's the significance about these three years? It was three years of Paul taking the one fact that changed his life, that Jesus is the risen Christ, and applying that to the wealth of his knowledge of scriptures. It was three years of Paul taking that and proclaiming the message of this Christ to Jew and Gentile alike. And three years of Paul doing this independently of Jerusalem. Now, Paul eventually does go to Jerusalem. But we see here in verse 18, it's only number one for 15 days, two weeks, tops. And that of, he only meets Peter and James. He doesn't meet all 12. He just meets two of them. And this is so unbelievable that Paul has to emphasize in verse 20. He's like, really? Really one? Believe me. Okay, it's only 15 days and only Peter and James. No one else. And after that, I had to leave very shortly to the regions of Syria and Cilicia. And from the map, we can trace Paul's journey from Jerusalem 
So if you see the big red spot at the bottom is Jerusalem, uh, to the above Phoenicia uh, to Syria, all the way to Cilicia. Now, the, word, the, the, the region of Cilicia is not mentioned in Acts, but if you notice at the bottom, there's a city there called Tarsus, where, where Paul was born. And that is where Acts chapter 9 places him. He goes to Jerusalem and immediately goes to Caesarea and Tarsus. So we can firmly place today's passage parable with Acts chapter 9, verses 26 to 32, if you want a, an alternate account. Yeah. Now, the point here is this. Uh, Acts agrees as well uh, where, as what we see here in Galatians, that at the time of this Jerusalem visit, Paul was not known. He was not introduced. That means he was not known in person. It means he didn't say hi, he didn't... Was, he was not face to face with them. Paul did not, you know, go to Jerusalem and then go on a preaching tour around Judea. No, he, he left immediately. But even though he, did, he just was there for a short while, the churches there did hear of Paul. They did hear of his conversion and they praised God. It would be as if that prominent, um, like I said, that, that, maybe the head of the atheist society whose life purpose was to attack and discredit Christianity suddenly does a 180 and preaches the faith that he or she tried to destroy. Now, what would our response be in that case? I hope it would be that we will glorify God who made such a transformation possible and such transformation is possible and has been going on in the, around the world. Praise God, isn't it? We remember that God's good news in Christ calls and transforms sinners for His glory. And we come to our final principle, which is God is glorified by gospel transformation. I always find it so amazing at when at baptism testimonies we hear of stories of people's lives, people who were as far as possible from God as could be, just like Paul, and yet God brought them graciously back to him. That we see the truth that no one is too undeserving for his grace. In fact, the more undeserving the sinner the richer God's grace is. That's the God we worship. Isn't our God amazing? No matter what may be in your past, no matter what may be in your history, that God's grace is sufficient to bring you back to Him, to redeem that past and turn it around for His glory. Our God is amazing. Amen? To God be the glory. But what about for those of us who, who do not have that dramatic conversion? I certainly don't, right? My story is not like Paul. I would argue that there still remains room for gospel transformation, even for people like the one I just described, people who were raised by Christian parents, perhaps taught at a young age about Jesus, about the faith, uh, had no history of being away from that faith. Yes, there were moments of like, you know, naughtiness here and there, but no large turning away. No dramatic instant conversions. Does it mean that such people can't glorify God? Of course not. Because all of us are sinners. All of us need His grace. So there remains room for the gospel to transform us. You see, Paul's transformation was dramatic because it was instant. In one instant, everything changed. But perhaps for some of us, the same transformation maybe takes a year or five years or ten years. Maybe you have thicker skulls. I don't know. That's the case for me. But the thing for sure, for sure, is that transformation happens. 
The gospel cannot but help transform one's life and rearrange one's categories because there is no way that anyone acutely aware, actually aware of their sinfulness, coming face to face with the gospel of grace, could walk away untransformed or unaffected. Not unless their awareness was not actual, just like a toy truck is not actually a real truck. God's good news in Christ calls and transforms sinners for his glory. And I pray that no matter where you're hearing this from, if you're hearing this for the first time or you're hearing this for the umpteenth time, that the beauty of God's grace in the gospel would drive you to seek to live for him and live for his glory. Let us pray. Almighty God, you are perfect. You are holy and exalted in your majesty. There is truly no one like you. We cannot comprehend why you would love us so immensely. And we certainly don't deserve your love. But we thank you for your grace to us as shown in your gospel. And help us, O Lord, not to take it for granted. Please keep us, remind us of your grace that we may be living for you to the glory of your great name. And we ask this in the name of your Son. Amen. Amen.